0: If you want to get rid of all the ads, just choose the David McWilliams Plus option on Apple Podcasts and you'll hear us without any clutter or noise or ads. Lovely, John. Beautiful.
1: Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com
0: Understand the economy, you have to understand human nature.
2: This podcast is powered by ACAST.
0: How are you doing there? It is podcast time. We're going to devote this podcast to Britain. Great Britain, GB, the United Kingdom. The mainland. The main <laughs> the <fucking> mainland. <laughs> <I know. laughs> but you're just back from the mainland. Off the mailboat. I was off the mailboat. I was in mainland. I was in London, John, for the last four days. I am very taken by the buses in London. I spent an inordinate amount of time in the 73 bus from Stoke Newington. Into the city. Oh, into, yes. into Oxford Street. Yeah, yeah. And uh, up in Old Stokey. I was up in Old Stokey. I'm a very, I'm personally in terms with Angel and Farringdon yeah. <laughs> and all that neck of the woods. And uh, yeah. What's no, the buses, man? Were they not in strike? Buses, no, when they're not in strike, they're great. <laughs> when, they're, right. when they're on strike, they're awful. But they're really, really, the whole thing worked. They, there were loads, they came every two or three minutes. I was like a kid, I was up in the front. I was up the front, the <laughs> top. pretending you were steering. Yeah, 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 exactly. you <laughs> top. But I want to talk to you about the UK, a country that has definitely lost its way. And then this morning, where was I? Up in N.A. Oh. So right. I've been in the richest part of the UK. I was in Piccadilly at Peter Frankovan's book launch. Oh, this very good. So the yeah. richest part of the richest part of the UK around the Ritz-Piccadilly, a lovely shop, a, a bookshop, thing called Hatcharts or Hatchets or something. Right. Really, really swanky. Lovely. You can You can tell by the book covers that these are particularly <laughs> educated and erudite <laughs> people. And then, of course, this morning I was up in N.A. Right. I
2: was up in Belfast.
0: <laughs> the opposite. <right>? The opposite. <laughs> so I'm going to talk a little bit about the North later on, but it's England and it's Britain. It's amazing. Like yeah. you, you get the feeling... Not when you are in, let's say, Piccadilly, the centre of London, you know, the imperial capital of an empire. Yeah. Right? But what it does feel like is it feels like a city that's too big for the country. Do you know that way? Right. Hey, it's like, yeah, yeah, it was a yeah. city built for an empire. Mm. And now the empire has gone. It's completely short. It's a bit like if you ever go to Vienna. Yeah. Vienna is too big for Austria. It's like a fellow with a big head. Yeah. Right? It's, <laughs> it's just too... Tumbling over, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's just too... It's, it's kind of lopsided. And London, the amazing thing is, it just feels too big for the country, you know, because it is. When was the last time you were there? I would go every couple of months, but yeah, this time yeah. I was, so I was going with a with a sharpened eye, John, right? <laughs> a sharpened yeah. eye in order to do the podcast. But it was great, and of course, you know, we've all mates there and all that sort of stuff. But what you do get the sense of a country that, yes, Brexit has been part of it, yeah. but it's more a four decade long mismanagement of a place where the inequalities, the regional, the social, the opportunistic inequalities that are so evident between the North and South, for example, Mm. right? And they are income inequalities, but they're also opportunistic. There's very little opportunity in most other parts. So so
2: is this really obvious? And what was the feeling on the ground? Yeah,
0: so when you go from, you know, those swankier parts of London into Mm. the average parts of London, you can feel yourself moving into a totally different class, a totally different level of educational achievement, a totally different level of income. Now, you you feel that in Dublin too, but you really feel it in London. It's the jump, the move is so significant. And then again, if you start to look at the data of what's happening in the UK, Mm. what you see, uh, Martin Wolf, who was on the show a couple of weeks ago, wrote a very interesting piece there the other day. He was making the point, I used to look at London when I worked as an economist there in England, right? It was very very clear that there was a deal which was the following that Mrs Thatcher said in 1979 we're going to deindustrialize the north, right? Because yes. this is the future is not coal and steel and shipbuilding, okay? Even though in fact many co- European countries continue with those industries, right? Mm. But in the UK we're going to and we're going to overemphasize London, we're going to overemphasize finance. It's called the fire economy, finance real estate and insurance. Yeah. Okay, It was focusing on, on services. Yeah, and professional services yeah. and all that sort of stuff, yeah. right? And what we're going to do is we're going to create an engine of growth in London. And with that engine of growth, this is the strategy. Yeah, We're going to suck in lots of capital. We're going to suck in lots of people. We're going to create a very dynamic services sector. And that is going to generate lots of taxes. And with those taxes, then, we can pay for the leveling up <laughs> right, yeah, but what you get the impression is it's leveling down now. Yeah, right, and the reason it's the following so that but this this was, this was
2: from Thatcher from nineteen seventy nine onwards through the eighties into the nineties, and it was
0: also they also had the funding of the North Sea oil, which they blew on BMWs, right? Which is an amazing thing about England, right? <laughs> okay, if you think about right on North German sea, cars, right? they blew, they blew it on German cars. You think well, what did the Norwegians do? The Norwegians got North Sea oil, and they said we're going to put this into a sovereign wealth fund for future generations (laughs) under the mattress. And the Brits said, you know what we'll do is, we'll give it all away in tax cuts so you can buy BMWs, which is what they did. They bought BMWs in council houses. So they sold little bits of England back to themselves using the North Sea Oil. That's that's exactly what happened, right? So now you have the situation that that model at least made some sort of national sense Mm. that London, for all its sort of, how you describe it, for all its sort of awkwardness as being this huge city was at least generating the tax income, which was then going to service the regions and the other countries. And then, of course, Tony Blair went one better and he brought in the regional assemblies, so the Scottish Parliament, the Welsh Parliament, Northern Irish Parliament, which we'll talk about in a a second. So we're going to give them a certain amount of autonomy, but the engine of tax revenue is going to come from London. That's all predicated on this extraordinarily misdiagnosed concept in economics called productivity. There's a thing in economics called total factor productivity, right? Okay, you've got to explain that one to me. So it's the canary in the coal mine of all economics, right? So productivity, we tend typically to think of productivity as the amount of stuff people are producing per head, right? That's the productivity. So if that goes up, right, what is actually happening is you can do two things. When productivity rises, you can both increase wages number one, and you get increased profits. So it's the really sweet spot. That's labor productivity. Then you've got the productivity of capital, right? Which is that how much are the new machines generating? So if you invest 100 quid or 200 quid or 1,000 quid, what's that generating in a couple of years' time? Mm. You add them together and you get what's called total factor productivity. Now, if total factor productivity is rising, imagine it's an engine, right? Total factor productivity tells you the engine is purring. Right. So you're using less petrol yeah. to generate total efficiency. Yeah, so yeah, exactly. So you're using less petrol to generate more heft. Yeah. Right. More propulsion forward. Yeah. Right. And just torque. Imagine. I think the word is torque. Yes. In fact, <laughs> speaking of the word torque, oh. my father-in-law being a Nordi yeah, and a petrol head. Right. Okay, Billy passed away a couple of years back, but he said to me one one day, I went up to buy a Fiat Punto. In Cumber, right? I was taken by Fiat Pontos, the least glamorous car in yes, the world, right?
2: Absolutely, they were. But
0: do, do you know what actually happened to me? I got a job for an outfit called BMP Paribas. Yeah, and I, I didn't that. have a car, right? And that, the last time I was on holidays, I was on holidays in Portugal and I rented a Fiat Punto. And I thought they were you really you fell nice. in love with it. Exactly. I thought, this is really, really nice. And then I got this swanky job, like over-promoted director of this, that, and the other. And I turn up at the hate your people yeah. after getting the job. And they'd say, well, you know, David, this is your card, director of la, la, la. A car comes with it. And I said, oh, really? That's great. What sort of car would you like? <laughs> and I said, a Fiat Punto. <laughs> They looked at me. It's because oh, the prince of a car. And you're watching. you can't have that. I said, why can't I have that? Have that? She goes, you're too senior. It would, it would, you can't have a beige one at like that. It, it, would, it would annoy the fuck out of all the other directors if I had a Fiat Punto. It would be the wrong image. That So I didn't get one. They wouldn't give it to you? They wouldn't give it to me. So then when I came back to Ireland, I said, I'm going to go and buy myself a Fiat Punto. And then, of course, Billy said, to me, you better buy it off in the north because they're cheaper, right? Yeah. and then you pay the difference from some scrappy. Yeah, 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 and you pay the difference. But of course, he was into cars, right? Right, and he did mention <laughs> to me in there's a bar in Cumber. Cumber is a little town in North County Down that I know well. Yeah. Okay, and there's a bar called the TT, right. and the TT is after the Isle of Man TT. Yeah. So it's full of petrol heads, fellows yeah. on bikes, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. pictures of Joey Dunlop everywhere, and Billy said to me about the Fiat Punto. Not sure about the torque, <laughs> and I looked at them and said, and "I have like two pints in the back of crisps, and the, I had no idea who's talking about." So, come back to, back to total factor of productivity. So, total factor of productivity, total think, torque. Here we, go. here we go. So, so imagine <laughs> you're using less petrol to generate more propulsion. Mm-hmm. That's the sweet spot. Yeah. If the engine begins to use more petrol to generate the same propulsion, you're becoming inefficient, you're unproductive. Sure. Yeah, yeah. But you don't see that in the economy in GDP figures. This is the thing. So it takes a while to understand that the engine is not working. Yeah. Because the GDP figures could produce a growth rate. Mm. But if you're stuffing loads of capital in there and loads of labor to generate the same growth rate, the growth rate masks something deeply problematic in the engine. Okay.
2: okay. So.
0: That is what has happened to London over, and when I say London, I mean the southeast,
2: yeah, right? Yeah, yeah.
0: Over the last 14 years, since mm. 2007, 2008. Since the crash? Since the crash, total factor productivity in the UK has fallen, but much worse for the UK, total factor productivity in London has fallen. Okay, are there any figures that you yeah. can explain this with? So between 1997, when you and I were knocking in London, 2007, mm. Average annual productivity in London was 3.1%. That's very, very high. Okay, okay. That has fallen since 2007, 2008 to now to 0.02, so almost nothing. Wow. So okay. when that happens, it means you're stuffing more people, in this case, immigration, yeah, right, and more capital into an engine that is producing less. Okay. Right? Now, when that starts producing less... It produces less tax revenue. Can you give us a comparison with another city? So, well, okay. well I mean, like, well, Ireland's productivity is through the roof. Right. Completely through the roof. And people say, oh, well, that's all because of multinationals or whatever. But when you strip out everything, this is a highly productive okay. society. Okay. Right? And London used to be highly productive. Mm. In fact, the reason that the UK had long-term inequalities was productivity in London was much higher than productivity in the regions. But now that has completely changed. And that means that London is no longer doing the heavy lifting for the UK. And that means the UK is stagnating. The whole UK. And that then explains why they're having budget deficits, they're having bond market problems, they're having currency problems, because all the while you need to adjust. So if you're not generating productivity, it means that you're not generating tax revenue. If you're not generating tax revenue, it means your budget deficit is going to be higher but it's been higher on a lower growth rate. So for every percentage point of growth, you're generating less tax, you're having a bigger budget deficit. That means your interest rates have to be higher than they would already have to be. Why? Because A, the government is spending, and B, there's a risk that you keep running these budget deficits and you eventually run out of road. So then what happens is your currency weakens. Right. So all of these things are happening at the same time. And it's, it's very evident to me that they're, they're stuck. They're in a cul-de-sac. But what kind of effect surely then that it would have an impact on inflation it and should. like it would force it down? It should. But again, I come back to the, the magic of productivity is that productivity forces down inflation yeah. because your output per head is lower. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. when your productivity is high, your inflation rate is low. When your productivity is low, your inflation rate is high. Yeah. So they're stuck in this brace. Now, how do you get productivity up? It takes ages. You've got to change your capital base. You've got to change your education system. So you basically got to make your workers have got to be smarter. Right. And your capital's going to be smarter. This is long term stuff. It takes ages. Yeah. Remember, everyone thought of, a couple of years ago, we said, the UK is going like, we were laughing. It was going to be with Brexit, like the Argentina of Europe, mm. right? Yeah. Low productivity, capital flight, bond market problems. Currency problems and constant activistic lurching from nationalism to thisism to thatism. It looks like that now. So, so you know, red trousers Peronism. Yes. You know, posh Peronism, <laughs> upper class Peronism, gammon Peronism. Exactly. Exactly. So, so where, where does it go from here? Well, this is the problem. Then we're going to go to Northern Ireland in a second, right? Because yeah. always what happens is the average figure always masks the extremes. And mm. Northern Ireland is really extreme now. But it means that the UK just has it needs to come up with a national plan, which is something that they they ideologically, the Tories are very much against any of these big what the Americans call blue sky thinking. Mm. Like, what are we gonna do? What is our USB? What is what what do we do that's better than everybody else? Now during Brexit, there was all this leveling up, and we're going to bring manufacturing back. But I mean, manufacturing is really hard. But this was this was
2: um, a lost opportunity from way back from in way the back, when way when back. they closed the mines and the steel factories and all this. That's when the education should have started, exactly. and that's when they should have started pumping money into the regions to build new industries and not
0: spend the oil revenues on BMWs, yeah, or
2: Puntos and, for that matter.
0: Punto, <laughs> punto, I mean, at least you can get a few Puntos for your for, for your quid. Anyway. So the Tories don't like talking about big plans because they are, by definition, small government people. Mm. And they believe, look, the market will figure yes. the whole thing out. Yeah, so they're they're yeah. ideologically, they're they're in that Edmund Burke idea that we conserve tradition, but we don't build big radical ideas, right? That's their notion. Yeah. Although I think Brexit was pretty feckin' radical. Well, okay. And yeah, most absolutely. Tories, most Tories, you know, subscribe to that. Yeah. Even if they only did it half-heartedly, that was part of their gig. So then, Labour are the big ideas party, but Labour are totally imperiled by the fear that they will terrify. Mondeo man, you know Mondeo mm, man, yeah, right? Yeah, Mister yeah. Mr. Mr. Essex, right? I was during sure the Blair
2: years. Yeah, 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 the
0: Mondeo man, yeah. the fellow, the fell I had a Mondeo
2: day. actually. Speaking of, of cars, did. Yes, of course you did. Of course you did. A Mondeo estate at that, which was fantastic. Because you've loads of my kids. My favorite. that's <laughs>
0: Because you've loads of kids. But if you had a no, Mondeo, you were right. I hadn't tagged him. All right, darling. Epows fucking thing. But anyway, so that is the sense you get when you're in England. If you're like walking around, but if you're on the seventy three bus. Stoke Newton with your economist head on, on the very front seat, right? yeah. okay, taking notes. You think, okay, this is a country without a plan. And whether you like it or not, a plan is always better than no plan, no matter what you do in life.
2: Yeah. A yeah, plan, yeah,
0: yeah. even if it's the plan is wrong, it's better it's than just, no it's plan. It's a direction of it's, some, it's some sort. It's just some sense of getting from A to B. Yeah. And what you get the the impression in the UK is there's no plan. The Tories don't want a plan because Brexit was their last plan. It's kind of gone a bit wrong Mm. and they can't come up with something new. And so they've gone back to kind of Thatcherism like cutting taxes and streamlining bureaucracy and all this stuff that makes no sense, right? And Labour are afraid to have a plan because they will be labelled by Mondeo man, big government, and big government means big taxes and big spending. But the problem is now, because productivity has fallen, they're going to have to have big taxes and big spending anyway. And that's going to have to, this idea of their prosperity looks to me to be rented, not earned.
2: Yes. Right? Yeah, yeah.
0: And so constantly they're going to have to run all these big deficits to keep the show on the road. And what they need to do is they need to try and get the north of England moving, try and get Scotland moving, try and get Wales moving. How? How? (laughs) You know, they could do what we did. They could play the tax game really simply. But they're pushing up corporation tax. Yeah, but that, that actually that's a very good point.
2: I don't understand why. You're absolutely right, because they're not um, beholden to anyone.
0: They're not. This is the whole Brexit thing, that they're, yeah. with one leap, we are free, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and now they're raising corporation tax, not reducing it, right? Now the reason I think they could do this, well, it's different. See, Ireland was able to cut corporation tax because we had no corporations. Right? Yes. So, there was no ideology here. right? So, you know, there a, there's a natural ideology that if you cut the taxes of capital, then you're by definition imperiling labor. And you are doing that. And I want to talk to a guy, a guy called Gabriel Zuckman. I want to talk to a French economist who's very good in this. And we'll talk to him in a couple of weeks' time. I'm just trying to get a time that's right because he's very brilliant on all, all mm. this sort of stuff. Okay. But in the UK, because of the old school ideology, they were always hemmed in that they couldn't reduce corporation tax because that would just simply give capitalists money. So Labour would never do that, right? Okay. And the Tories, on the other hand, were much more enamoured of the idea of reducing income tax to create the former working-class Labour voters and turn them, like and man, into Tories, yes. which they did. Yes. Right? Now, so they're kind of hemmed in that, in that way. The other thing is they have to invest long-term in education. I'm going to talk about this when we're going to look at Northern Ireland, right? Because Northern Ireland is... Very much part of the United Kingdom.
2: Okay, well, let's talk about Northern Ireland. Well, let's have a little break first, Let's shall have we? a break.
0: Have a break from Northern Ireland before we talk about it.
1: <laughs> okay. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment.
0: So, John, let's talk about the six counties, Northern Ireland, Northern Ireland, the North, whatever you want to call it, right? Okay. What is fascinating is, take what we've just been saying about the UK. Do you know that the Prussians in the First World War, when the Prussians <laughs> in the First World War were asked about their alliance with the Austrian-Hungarian Empire,
2: yeah.
0: the Prussian high command said, it is like having an alliance with a corpse. Right. Okay. <laughs> Okay. Okay, because they were, the Austrians were like yesterday's empire. Yeah. And the Prussians thought that they were basically tied to a corpse. Right. So they were. So this is the same for Northern Ireland. This is the same for Northern Ireland being tied to Britain. Britain's a corpse now. It needs to be resuscitated. Yeah. And what you're finding is Northern Ireland, all these things we've been saying about Britain, right, are being exposed in the most atavistic way in Northern Ireland, right? I was just, I was up there today mm. doing an event in in, in, in the, the Odyssey arena uh, in Belfast, right? Right, nice. But I've been looking at figures from Northern Ireland, right? And the fascinating thing is that Ireland is like, almost like an economic laboratory. Right. So you have two jurisdictions. Like you've more or less the same people, although they wouldn't say so, but we're genetically kind of more or less the same are. people. Yeah, right? yeah. Live on the same island yeah, with the same natural resources and they intermarry, the odd time. Every now and then we intermarry, <laughs> and that really confuses everybody. That really confuses everybody, exactly. We're the outlier, exactly. But uh, if you come back to the idea that same country, same island, both capitalist countries, Yeah. both up until very recently members of the European Union, right, so you have an extraordinary similarity, except there's two jurisdictions, two legal entities, right, And you have 100 years of data. So the North Island's 100 Mm. years old this year. So you've got this compare and contrast idea. But I was looking at, and this is the most phenomenal thing, and I've always felt this when I got to the North. It was a feeling I had about deprivation. If you walk around, particularly around East Belfast, which is the part of the North I I know know reasonably well. And then I was looking at life expectancy, but healthy life expectancy. So for the 20% of the most deprived areas in Northern Ireland. The healthy life expectancy is 52 years. Now that means that they can expect to be healthy for only 52 years. Right. And after that, they are unhealthy, these people. Right. Right? That's very young. It's the same as Sierra Leone. Right. It's the same. So the equivalent figure for India is 60. Right. Okay. So... The most deprived areas have the same life expectancy in terms of health as people in Sierra Leone, which is one of the poorest countries in the world. Now, let's digest that. You look at the similar figures for Ireland. You Mm. take the average. In Northern Ireland, the average person can only expect to be healthy. The average person for 61 years. In the Republic, 70 years. It's 69.7. So people in the Republic are about a decade healthier than people in Northern Ireland. This is just up the road. Yeah. Right. And this this is is an amazing statistic. And when did this change? Because it wasn't always like that. No, it wasn't. This is just, the North has got progressively more sick. Yeah. And the Republic has become progressively more healthy over the last 30 years, since the end of the Troubles. So one of the big things the Troubles is... There's
2: a direct correlation between prosperity prosperity and yeah
0: and yeah. it's also a reflection believe it or not of the health service you know even though they talk with the nhs being great you know a very good health service does not preside over an unhealthy population mm. right but there's lots of things going on i think it's maybe because people are presenting sicker earlier in the north and going on disability benefits longer in the north right. but if you look if you look for example at education right The levels of education here are much higher. So people between the age of 25 and 34 in Ireland, in the Republic, 55% have got university degrees, as opposed to 41% in the North, right? Low levels of education, when you look at people leaving school, Mm. in general, 20% of people in the North are described as having low levels of education, which means they leave school early.
2: That's like after the GCSE.
0: 7% here. It's completely, yeah. it's three times more up there, right? And also one third of people in the North are what economists call economically inactive, which means sitting on your hole, <laughs> right? That's the, yeah, Just right? sitting doing nothing. It's, I mean, these, are, right. these are amazing statistics. The Netflix like, generation. Well, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's it means that they're, they're neither in education nor in training nor have a job. Right, So they're just kind of floating around. And of course, we know that, you know, the obviously the southern economy is like nine times bigger than the northern economy. Yeah. We know all that. We've talked about it before. But when you drill down into the numbers, what you see is a society that is at the lower end, poverty end, incredibly poor, incredibly unhealthy, and incredibly uneducated. And then even on the average, it's not doing well. And that
2: compared to like the poorer parts of England, you know the the up north
0: and and it's, it's very similar. It's it's worse but similar. Right. Yes. It's worse but similar. But, Whereas but the poorest is... the poorest parts of the republic are what we call the border regions. So basically, Donegal, Cavan, Manahan, Leitrim. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They're totally different. Much much higher in terms of health expectancy. Much higher in terms of income, of course. Much higher in terms of education. It's incredible. Much much it's higher. incredible. Yeah, it is. So what it means is that Northern Ireland. Is going backwards in a country that's going backwards. Mm. So, Northern Ireland in the past was going backwards in a country that was going forwards. So, you could say, well, at least they're going to get money from the UK. Mm. And of course, what this completely corrodes the political firmament. But what fascinates me is that the comparison between the South and the North now, it's a bit like East and West Germany or North and South Korea, the same people, different systems. We didn't have the different systems. We have the same system. That's the thing is, both the South and the North are capitalist countries. Yeah. At least in North Korea, they say, well, no, we're a communist country and the South is a capitalist country. But, you know, so what, what you're finding here is that all the evidence is pointing to the northeast of the island is on a totally different trajectory to the rest. And there is no growth engine in the UK which is going to minimise this. So it looks to me like this is a long-term trajectory. But Sunak,
2: rightly or wrongly, is handing them the opportunity to get out of this
0: because they're going to have one foot... In the EU, one foot in the UK. Exactly. So they the, the opportunity is you become the middleman of the world, which yeah. is amazing for them, right? They can also piggyback on the IDA. There's a lot of goodwill towards them, all that sort of stuff. But even if, before we answer that, if you just go back to the so you've got these two systems, and then you've got the hundred years of data. A hundred years to look at this experiment,
2: right? Right. Okay, yeah, yeah.
0: And and you know what you see is that Northern Ireland at the beginning was by far the richest, by far the most industrial. If you look at even Belfast was a bigger city than Dublin and it was growing faster, yeah. right? Okay, if you look at the figures from manufacturing industry for where people worked, you have this extraordinary chasm between the North and the South, much richer in the North, much more mm. innovative. It was all linen and You would have, like, if you were a betting man, school. John. Yeah. But you'd just, have bet in the Northerners, right? Yeah. And even taking out the troubles, right? Even taking it out... The history over the 100 years, let's say the troubles is a 25-year period, okay? The history over the 100 years has been suggesting that one part of the country is stagnating and going backwards, and the other part of the country is growing. Mm. So what you've got to say is, why is this? And it's got to do with lots of things, but one is the disposition of the political class in general. And that comes back to your point about Sunak. So he's saying to the Unionists, here... Look, is your way out. Here's your way out. You've got your, we've renegotiated the protocol. The European is in parenthesis, the Dublin government, in yeah. effect, yeah. have sort of compromised and said, yeah, okay, it's fine. We can do this. You know, we're not going for the hardest interpretation of what you wanted. Yeah. And what's happening? The unions are saying, yeah. no, never, 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 never. No. So it doesn't matter that their people are dying younger. Who cares that their kids are leaving school younger? Who cares that more of them are on disability benefit? Who cares that their income is profoundly and considerably lower than their cousins in the South, as long as the flag on the boarded-up leisure centre is red, white, and blue? That's what they care about.
2: Pure ideology.
0: It's a culture war. Yeah. like It's a culture war in the way in which you've never seen a culture war Or you rarely see a culture war, right? But all the while, the people are suffering. And the people in the most deprived areas are suffering most. And what you see again is that that is gradually changing its complexion.
2: But of course, the ironic thing was that the majority of Northern Ireland voted
0: to remain. I know. I know. D-E-U. But, but it's our thing. The unionists are the politicians who never miss an opportunity to miss an opportunity. And here is the greatest opportunity. Soon, like I said, look, we've got you this deal. Down the road, your 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 cousins in the South, even though they mightn't want to be rich, they've figured something out. They've managed to get in this investment. They've managed to create a society that's working. They're healthier than you, they're better educated than you, they're richer than you. Have a bit of that. And you can still have your flag, but have a bit of it. Yeah. Like yeah, nobody's yeah, yeah. saying, you know, you can't have that unless there's, you know, Chucky our law written over things. But I come back, we started in London. Let's go back to London, right? We've looked at Northern Ireland. The figures must be similar for Scotland. They must be similar for the north of England, yeah. particularly the northeast of England. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Your, your your Middlesbrough, your Sunderlands, your, your Newcastles. I suspect large parts of rural poverty. Rural Wales must be exactly the same. And they all bet the house on London continuing to generate the income because it generated the total factor productivity. And now that's stopped. So we're looking at our our biggest neighbour is in a cul-de-sac, an intellectual cul-de-sac, a political cul-de-sac, and an economic cul-de-sac. And I can't see after my little brief trip over there, Any eureka moment where anybody writing or thinking or talking about it has figured out the way out. And that's a problem. Just before you go, just want to
2: tell you about a super guest we have on next week. It's Brother Bernie. None other than Bernie Sanders will be making his return to the podcast and sitting down with Mark to talk about all sorts of stuff, from his new book to the state of the global economy, US politics, home and abroad, and whatever else takes their fancy. So that's Bernie Sanders on the Dave McWilliams podcast next Tuesday. Talk to you then. (laughs)